I'm back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Uh, I immediately regret coming back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was like it's, do what the yeah. little sad the sad thing was too. I just want to get this out of the way before you do your your shtick. Sure, sure, sure. Thing, the, the little sadness was we couldn't share any, in the joy mm-hmm. of a front page article on the Wall Street Journal you know, together on the podcast when it released. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, yeah, I wanted to record real bad uh, after that whole thing happened, uh, but I forgot uh, when my plane flight to Texas was. I thought it was Wednesday. It was actually Tuesday, pretty early in the day. Did you just like not put these things in your calendar, or or, or what, what's going Correct. on? Okay, yeah, <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, I think I did or didn't. No, I didn't because okay. I was. Yeah, I definitely did put it. Or in my if you calendar. do, you just don't check it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> uh, this is how I operate, uh, or not operate, depending on how you look at it. But yeah, I was in uh, Texas, the America of America, hanging out with. Uh, our good friend Taylor Schroll, had mm-hmm. a few days hanging out with him and his family, and we went on retreats uh, at this um, place in uh, Texas, uh, a ranch. There's a ranch in Texas, and so it was cool. There were buffalo and zebra and deer all over the place. Yep. Every time I saw the deer, I thought about Nick and how angry angry he would be to see deer so comfortable around humans right. and make producer Nick angry. But had a lot of time to uh, pray and just relax, and it was a very good retreat. Excellent. Not as silent as my other retreats, but it was it was a good one. So was this? So question. Hmm. Um, I noticed from a picture I saw on the interwebs mm. uh, that you wore your 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 stole in the the trad form. Yeah. Yeah, I crossed it. Yeah. Yeah. So very tradning of you. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yet. You celebrated versus populum. I did. So why are you LARPing as a trad? I'm not LARPing as a trad. This is this is my new <laughs> liturgical movement. This is the reform of the reform of the reform. It's the next step in the liturgical movement. Uh, no, so the, the real story behind that is I didn't bring any um, chasubles because I didn't want to pack any chasubles and get them all wrinkled up. I packed yeah. a few different colored stoles. That green stole is cut in a way that it crosses easily. A lot of stoles you find today when you try to cross them it doesn't they're very long yeah this doesn't work so that one is like well this is kind of made for that one that's it's one that goes with my uh, fiddle back and so that's why i did that also you know at that retreat we had a bunch of you know uh, there were eight other guys in that retreat with different levels of um different places in the faith right but you know anthony the the truth doesn't care about your feelings that's very true (laughs) Uh, but the other thing is with, with versus, uh, with ad orientum, uh, in an enclosed space yes. and they're like kneeling down, um, that makes them very close to my rear end gotcha. and it, yes. it's, it's awkward because yes. they're kneeling down and we're all like in this little space and just like, no, we're you're, not going to do you're that. Doing, you're doing the bows and you're just like, yeah, no, nope. maybe not as profound. No, no, it's exactly. <laughs> so it was, it was a practical matter why I did not, uh, celebrate ad orientum. Thought about it. Just didn't do it. Um. And now I'm back. You're back. I'm ready to record a new episode of Clerically Speaking. Hello, welcome to Clerically Speaking. I am Father Anthony. I am Father Harrison. And you know, the funny thing is, I had something, what? and now I totally forgot what it was. Uh, I'm still waking up. It's a little early still for me. I mean, mm-hmm. 8 a.m. This, I mean, I, I, I just, I both love and hate the summers for the early sunrise. I think it's great that it kind of gets me going earlier in the day. 
but it's starting to wear on me. Like I, I'm just like, I, I just, I just need more than five hours of sleep. Please, dear God, let me sleep for more than five <laughs> hours. I need some sleep. Jesus, please give me some sleep. Um, I had something and now I forgot what it was. Oh, no, just a question. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, I was going to say, uh, how was recording with producer Nick? Did you guys have a fun time? We did have a fun time. It went longer. It went longer it than did. It, yeah. What did you like, talk about? We talked about um, the Pope's um, liturgy document. Oh. Which was, you know, it was fun. It was good. It was good. And um, uh, we talked about how I was curious how you got to Texas. Wait, you did, that mm-hmm. means you didn't listen. Uh, no, I didn't. I like never listen to our podcast. I listen when you could do it with Nick. Well, I, that's good for you. Are you sad? You feeling sad, buddy? <laughs> uh, I did ask how you got into Texas without a passport. Oh, right. It is basically a different country. Yeah. Uh, but it's because it's the land of the truly free. Uh, I didn't need a passport. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. No, um, no, it was good. It was good. Um, yeah, we did. It was, it was, it's always nice to, to shake it up a little bit for things like that. And, uh, mm-hmm. um, it was definitely kind of one of those last minute topics where I, I had read the document, obviously, um, but didn't get time to like get them the thoughts in order per se. There's just, there's actually a lot in there. So but that was good. Um, other than that, I mean, it's just, it's summertime. So like parish stuff, like your parish activities tend to, to slow down a bit. Um, even like diocesan activities. I'm kind of getting ready. I'm leaving in a couple of weeks for, for Scotland for 10 days with Haley and, and Daniel Stewart on their oh, Scotland yeah. pilgrimage. Lots Great. of, lots of scotch. Um, mm-hmm. and so just lots, but I'm, I've got one soon enough, soon enough. We'll do a podcast topic on my crazy, crazy ideas about how we ought to govern parish life. That's exciting, but I'm working on it right now. Uh, my little, my little, uh, my little taste is though. I've been slowly reading, um, Luigi Giussani's, uh, the religious sense again mm-hmm. have you i don't know if you've read that or not nope it's very good you would think i would read a book uh, by someone named luigi but sadly i have not yeah i know it's like i'm just again just you just you're just a constant disappointment to me i know uh, uh for, he's so for those who don't know giusani is the founder of the community liberation movement and uh he uh he has this kind of method to how we ought how we can bring the objectivity of christ and our subjectivity, like our experience into connection with one another. And he founded Community Liberation this way, and it's a big, massive movement all around the world. And so I'm slowly making my way through that, taking notes, and then kind of condensing it so I can communicate it properly. That's a little tease I'll give right now, I guess. But uh, um, I've got some big ideas that are actually, this is the cool part of it all, I'll say this right now, is they're big ideas, but they're not, meant to be big implementations mm-hmm. they are meant to be small and organic and let the holy spirit do his work cool so maybe when i get back from scotland i'll be ready to go because I, I i don't i feel like i it'd be kind of lame to share it here first and then tell my parish yes that would be lame if you're actually doing these <laughs> things you should probably share it with your yeah. parish first it's just it's, it's <laughs> like the daily work in my life yeah. right now so uh it's it's, cool. it's a lot of time of it's kind of fun. I get to read yeah. for work stuff, like parish governance stuff, which is kind of fun. So, uh, but you know, we're just uh, we're just uh, trucking along, trucking along. All right. Yeah. 
Well, hopefully the, bear, uh, the Holy Spirit does his work. We're going to do our work, hopefully in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. Yes. As we talk about the... The, the stuff? Oh, um, yeah. You mean um, theological emergencies? Yeah, theological emergencies. <laughs> Thank you for calling Clerically Speaking. If this is truly a theological emergency, please dial one at any time. Hi, I flushed my goldfish down the toilet, and I wanted to know, is that a sin? Theological Emergency. We'll take your call at 412-912-7995. We're both awake! (laughs) Oh my gosh. We gotta get back into into the rhythm. We do. When you break I've like had this. one, two, three, four, five and a half shots of espresso this I, morning. I've only had one coffee. I, I need to get another I coffee. I, I just finished it. I'll need to get maybe maybe in transition next. I'll get. I'll make a quick second cup. I've noticed something. Okay. About our questions. Yes. That some of them are getting pretty pretty difficult. Like I, I scan through a few. I'm like, oh, I actually have to look that up to make sure I don't screw that one up. Um, so people are, are upping the ante with some of their questions on here. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. So you missed you missed last week's about time travel, and and yeah. the bond of marriage. That that's that sounds very complicated. It it was it was. Uh, all right. What are we doing? Hey, fathers. So I started a debate with my friends, and now you guys have to tell them that I'm right. Sometimes the fall of man is called a happy fault, given that we've since been redeemed by Jesus Christ. I don't like that term because I contend the world would be better and holier if sin never entered the world in the first place, if we were still hanging in the Garden of Eden. So which situation is better? In which situation is the world holier and man closer to God? The Garden of Eden or in a fallen world, but we have complex consciousness and Christ is risen? Thanks, fathers. I love the start of this question. Debate with your friends. You feel real confident. You think the priest is going to take your side. You'll be able to rub it in to your friends and feel that. And, and sweet, constantly sweet telling nectar. us that we're going to tell yeah. them that he's right. Notice how he didn't yeah, give us his really name. Is. It's like, like, okay, Anon, like, hey, like, are you afraid that we're going to ask if that's really your real name? Like, what, what, what's the problem here? Yeah, how will your friends know if yeah. uh, it's you asking the question if you that's don't right. give us a real or fake name? Yeah, exactly. But the exciting part about this question is that uh, this anonymous person who is so confident, who is ready to drink from the nectar of victory, instead will have to drink the dregs of bitterness and sorrow because he's absolutely wrong. (laughs) Absolutely wrong. Yes. Imagine this. Okay. So God could make, why would God, first of all, why would God choose a path that would make us less holy like why would god not choose the most perfect thing mm-hmm. like okay but let's let's back up so first of all you should know that you're wrong because you're disagreeing with the church you don't like the fact that the church calls it the happy fault you think you know better you think you know better i hope your friends are listening <laughs> to this so they can drag you for the rest of your life on this i don't like this term that's used in the exalted the this most the hymn ancient of him <laughs> this most ancient hymn sung at the highest solemnity, uh, the biggest mass of the year. I just don't like it because I think I'm smarter than the church. Shame, shame. Okay. So, but, Harrison, I'll, I'll pose the question a different way. Okay. 
So because of what Christ has done, we are not only um, saved by him and redeemed, we're also elevated to the status of being his sons and daughters. Mm-hmm. This is something that Adam and Eve did not have in the garden. Correct. Now, let's imagine that they didn't sin, and eventually the Lord uh, bid them to eat from the tree of life, mm-hmm. assuming that means that would elevate them to the level of sons and daughters. Okay. Okay. A lot of stuff but is I would happening. Say, I would say even then... To know God not only as how do love. You, how do you become a son or daughter without the incarnation? That's true. So that's a, that's a bigger question. Like, would the incarnation happen if we had not sinned? And we've gone over that before. You can go either way on that. Um, but even so, being able to know God not only as love but as mercy, this is better. We are closer to God right, because but, of it. But knowledge doesn't, in that sense, doesn't make us holier. Right. At least, in like no, like I mean, it, there's that internal knowing, which also comes from experience, I guess. And that's, mm-hmm. that's okay. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. But but yeah, uh, yeah, I I I I uh, I have strong disagreements with this because of the incarnation, mm. and like I don't like. The, I actually kind of hate the question: Would Jesus have been incarnated? Because I'm like, who cares? Because <laughs> he's been incarnated. Like this is the history yeah. we have to deal with, um, and I think that's part. Actually, actually, yeah, I think that's part of it. The church doesn't quibble about what would have been better because we don't know what would have been better. All we have is the facts. And the fact is that out of sin, an even greater grace is given, which is Jesus Christ, the incarnation, the new Adam in whose humanity we are transformed in day by day through the death and resurrection in our daily lives through our baptism. Um, this is, these are the facts. We we have to take the history of salvation seriously. And, and that's what that is. The history of salvation is the data by which we can make theological judgments. Yeah. So we can't, we can't actually make a theological judgment. Would things have been better because that's not reality, right? We can't actually really make that supposition. However, 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 um, the fact is Adam and Eve though, while sinless, we're not, it do not ha, did not have the gift of union that we have, as you were kind of saying earlier, right? Yeah. They did not have the gift of union that we have. And so while sinless, it wasn't the divine life that we, sh- that we have that's been given to us through baptism. That is the mm-hmm. greater gift, and that's why it calls it a happy fault. Because, and this is Paul's point, neither death nor life nor principalities nor things above nor things below nor... Nor, nor things below the earth or under the earth can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That this is a God who nothing, no sin can overcome. And so, because, like in a God, Augustinian sense, sin isn't really a real thing, it's just a deprivation. Mm-hmm. Um, this fault brings about an even greater grace, an even greater reality than we had before. And that God chooses to love us that way. So, in that sense, yes, like you said, we know his love which is also mercy and forgiveness. And now we now share what God is, what Jesus is by nature, we now are by adoption. And happy are we for that. And happy are your friends who told you that you were wrong. So sorry about that. (laughs) 
Sorry about that. Anon, if that, that's your The happy your fault is yours. <laughs> your fault has made them happy. They yeah. are victorious in the debate. Yes. Okay. So next one is going to be a combination of two. Okay. So, but it'll make sense once you hear them. This is Bobby from Pittsburgh. Why did God make animals if they were not going to go to heaven or hell? Thank you. This is John Henry from Pittsburgh. Why does the whole world, even plants and animals, suffer under the punishment of the sin of Adam and Eve? Thank you. Well, Bobby and John Henry, if those are your real names, uh, the reason why I put these two questions together, Father Harrison, is Mm -hmm. because they have a similar theme. They're also using some sleuthing work, and by that I mean my eyeballs, coming from the same, same phone number. number. Hmm. So, hmm. Or what if it's the same brothers. person with using oh. two different names? Yeah. Because we never trust their real name. That's true. And maybe they didn't want to, like, be hogging all the questions, so decide to, like, make it seem like it's two of them. Yes, yes. But either way, I think these are interesting questions. So, first of all, let's see. Which one should we tackle first? Hmm. Why did God make animals if they were not going to go to heaven or to hell? Mm-hmm. Any thoughts, Father Harrison? Well, yes, because we'll also we have to remember that there's going to eventually be the new heavens and the new earth. Mm-hmm. And uh, where the, the lamb where it will lay with the lion. And so in that sense, God, because, yes, they don't have eternal souls. We all know this. However, mm-hmm. God, because they don't have re- uh, uh, eternal souls and God is eternal. He can make any animals of our past, like our pets, etc. He can bring them into this new heavens and new earth very easily, and and mm-hmm. and and so on and so forth. So, I, I think they will be there. To be honest, I think uh, because uh, God wants to show the kind of um, the he he's 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 goodness itself, and he wants as much good things to exist as possible for Mm -hmm. our enjoyment as well for us to enjoy in them as creatures as he enjoys in us and creatures Mm -hmm. and so i think why does he do it because he wants us to delight in them and to share and to share the world with them and he offers them obviously for us for for help and nutrition and Mm -hmm. um thank you jesus for making all meats clean uh Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but also that he creates them just because they're beautiful, except for maybe the platypus. Uh, they're beautiful and worthy of... <laughs> He's taking shots of the platypus. Yes. Uh, I don't know. I'm just being, I'm just being a jerk. Um, but yeah, just that they're, they're worth having just because they're worth having, just as we're worth having. Yeah. They're, just, yeah. they're good. So even if they uh, weren't to go to heaven or to hell, even if there wasn't all that what you said um just i mean they are good in and of themselves it's good that they exist mm-hmm. um so yeah. god does things because it's good and then I mean, um, also this reminds me of a question of something i was thinking about i was talking with some friends about blessing of animals and i decided that next time someone asked me to bless um their dog or their bunny rabbit or their cat i'm just going to use bless us O lord and these thy gifts which we're about to receive from thy bounty through christ our lord amen, amen. assuming i'm just going to assume that they're but want me to bless these animals because they're going to eat them right and then people will stop asking me for animal blessings there you are um, that's the plan and the other thing is you got to remember the the um in, in genesis god says that they are good yes right and so that's, and I think that's the thing that to remember. It's like, why does, why does God create? Because it's good to have it. Yeah. 
And that I know it sounds like a very simple thing, but it's actually, I think, one of the deepest truths of our faith that God, some, the reason he creates things is because they are simply good to have. Mm-hmm. And that that is actually, this is a very Bonaventure take. <laughs> but uh, um, they're simply good to have. Just yeah. like, I guess an analogy of it would be that, um, why then why do you own a hamster? Well, because it's good and it's fun to play with a pet hamster. Right. Yeah. There's no <laughs> utility. There's no usefulness to having a pet. In fact, it's the opposite. Usually it's there. You have to clean them and everything. You have it just because it's simply good and you delight in it. And that's what God yeah. does with all of his creation. And so that's why he creates it because he delights in it. Okay, second part uh, yes. from uh, John Henry, if that is his real name. Yes. Why does the whole world, even plants and animals, suffer under the punishment of the sin of Adam and Eve? Mm-hmm. So th- the way I usually frame this question is that if you really think about it, God creating the whole world and God specifically creating a creature with intellect will, giving this creature humanity everything it needs and more simply to share in the love of its creator when that creature looks up to god and says no and rejects god and by doing so really rejects all of creation you would think that by that act everything would be destroyed like why would god keep around anything that in a certain sense and this is kind of a chester uh, chester Chesterton, Chestertonian, there you go, thing. The idea that, like, the way I like to flip the question is by saying, like, we ask why there's evil in the world. I think just as legitimate as asking why is there any good in the world, considering how terrible sin is. The fact that we have this kind of world in a shipwreck, Mm -hmm. that there are still good things in it is amazing, okay? So that's part of my uh, answer to that. Um, The fact that Adam and Eve being a part of creation um, because we are like the animals. We are like the plants. We are like material things. We're also like the angelic things. We are body and soul. Um, so our sin is going to affect the created world. And so, and St. Paul talks about the fact that um, Christ is uh, came to redeem us, but also all of creation waits for redemption as well. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like we're all a part of this thing together, right? I, I think, and this is, I mean, and and again, Genesis makes this very clear. God gives Adam charge to name all the animals, so they're underneath him, and mm-hmm. so we have to look at a fall. Like the way I always like to describe it is is. Yes, we are imbi- we are creatures, just like the animals. We are anim- we are mammals, right? We we fall under that category. We share uh, the we are embodied creatures, just like them, and so, but we're the greatest of them. And so, the the effect of sin it's like throwing a pebble into a pond, and it has a ripple effect on the pond itself. When we brought sin into the world, it had a it had an effect on all of creation. They, and so they were kind of subject to this as well. Um, it's, 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 the, it's Genesis' way of saying that when man chose to rebel against God and to say no, he brought everything underneath with him. Just as when kind of Satan fell, he brought everything underneath with him. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same kind of, it's the same kind of 
top-down effect. And so w- that's that's the simple reason. It's it's not that God hates the animals or anything like that, but he gave us charge and we chose to not take charge of them properly. Yeah. Good. Well, good questions from everybody. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of questions. I actually went uh, back yeah. in our yeah, um, way back folder to we're grab gonna, some of these. We're going to have to do some purging of stuff we've used and stuff so we can know what stuff we still have to get to we should but, we should we should actually one day when we're like really short on topics we should just do a theological yeah. emergencies episode yes a, a super emergency so many yes. emergencies uh but let's get into presbyteral exhortations and now it is time for presbyteral Exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably. Oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh, it's the best part. Yes. So, before, as we get, before you get into your topic, Father Anthony, I just got to say, I love how many kids call in. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I, I'm like, it's great that the parents are like, I don't know the answer to this question. I'm going to get Father Anthony and Harrison to answer this question for me. Yes. <laughs> and we hey. are happy to provide as long, as long as this is the case, as long as our podcast is forming you as parents to be able to educate your children who are the primary educators. But we are happy to supplement once in a while, obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's just delightful. It is always delightful. So yes, our parents, tiny theologians. Yes, parents, please get your kids to call. And actually, I think those are always. But it's also good for us because it forces us to remember. Hey, we're answering a kid. We gotta hmm. keep it to what they can hear and their level, which is yeah. good for us to remember sometimes. Yeah. Um, also, this has Especially been happening me. at my parish more and more. Uh, that uh, parents and kids will tell me that they have a question, and I say, "Don't ask me now. You have to call the podcast to ask the question." So I, I am. Uh, shirking my pastoral responsibilities to get more content <laughs> on our podcast. <laughs> there you go. It's good. Okay. All right. I really want to record last week because assuming that we would get a little bit of a bump uh, in listeners mm-hmm. last week because of the whole Wall Street Journal thingy, mm-hmm. and I wanted to get rid of some of those listeners, just in general. <laughs> I just, I really, I was really hoping that this article would like just destroy us and that we would be canceled and uh but it was actually very balanced and nice it we, was we have a, we have a writer friend who said don't trust any writers and i'm like actually i think this is gonna be fine and it was fine it was great yes it, it, to be fair he said don't trust them until you see the yes. article yes you're right yes 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 you're right thank you thank you for the correction um but yes so we weren't canceled because of that so uh i'm gonna try to cancel us with this um <laughs> and then because, I, it's gonna be yeah. the opposite here oh okay Sorry, quick. Um, ah, dang. Okay, at the end, I gotta remember a little a little comment to make. But uh, this is gonna be the fun part because usually it's you kind of toning me down. Yeah. Now I think the roles are gonna be reversed today. We'll see. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. All right. Because today I want to talk about abortion. Okay. I want to do just just the, yep. this is the abortion podcast. Okay. Uh, just gonna yep. go for it. All right. Sounds good. And the reason why I want to talk about it, several reasons. One, I actually want to have like a conversation about this mm-hmm. because a lot of the stuff I am seeing online and in real life and on the news and this sort of thing is um, because each side is so charged, it's very difficult to have an actual conversation about the various different topics that surround this issue. Right. Also, I think very often there is not a respect on the pro-life side 
for the complexity surrounding abortion. Mm -hmm. The morality of it is very cut and dry. Right. Abortion is an intrinsic evil. Mm -hmm. It is always an evil. Mm -hmm. Okay. And as you hear that in your brain, you may be thinking about what about complications in pregnancy? We'll get to that. Hold on. Mm -hmm. But to choose to kill um, an infant in the womb, mm-hmm. a human being, let's say a human being in the womb, mm-hmm. um, that is always intrinsically an evil. Okay. It can never be a good. Right. Okay. And so I was immediately kind of surprised when the uh, Dobbs decision came around, mm-hmm. which overturned Casey and Roe. That I wasn't immediately, like, super happy or relieved. Okay. Which was odd. Yep. Right? Because, indeed, not every uh, sin should be made illegal. Right. But sins, like, basically, if you're coming from the pro-life side, from the Catholic side, this is murder, and murder should be illegal. Right? Okay. So, it should be very cut and dry. This is good. This is a good thing. And yet... I wasn't immediately filled with relief or joy. Quick question, because like two quick things. With this is one is first I had a few people say, "So, Father, why didn't you preach about the Dobbs decision at Mass?" I'm like, "Because we're Canadian. <laughs> like, <laughs> this doesn't, in the end, in that sense, and in, in that like policy sense, doesn't really actually affect us, right?" Like, but the uh, the second thing is like, you know, uh, for you as an American, like, okay, um, those feelings that are surrounding this. Was is part of like I'm wondering too is part of it a shock as in this this did you ever see this day coming? Yeah, that, I mean that's definitely part of it. Is that even when the um, opinion was first leaked, mm-hmm. I was very much I'll believe it when I see it, right? Because uh, the whole abortion thing has been very much loosey with the football, right? And then when it actually happened, you know, I see it on Twitter. I check to make sure it's real, and part of it is just being a priest. Like I had just had to do the next thing in my day, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so part of it is you get wrapped up in the day, yeah. um, and part of it was because I I really never expected this to happen. Yeah, I, I thought I've heard that from a lot happened. of I've heard that from a lot of Americans because I really assumed that because um, I feel like the way the court has usually gone with uh, these big decisions is it follows in general the majority of the people. Um, I think. So I, I thought really, I really thought the culture would have to be reformed more before this happened. Uh, okay, so there's that. Also, along with that, is knowing that this does not end abortion in America. Now there are a lot of states that have right. these like trigger laws, so right away, um, abortions are illegal in a bunch of different states. So a bunch of different states they are illegal, which is great. But at the same time, all the pressures, all the circumstances, all of the cultural attitudes that would persuade someone to have an abortion are still there. Mm -hmm. There are still many tragic situations Mm -hmm. that are going to still Mm -hmm. be tragic situations. Mm -hmm. Um. And it will be difficult for these mothers and their children. Now, it's better that the children are alive. It's better that they're born, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, life, even born in tragic circumstances, is still a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not saying that it shouldn't happen. 
But we still live in a culture of death. Mm-hmm. And while I think it's better to be alive in that culture, it's not going to remove the difficulties of existing in mm-hmm. that culture, mm-hmm. right? So there's that. Another part of my hesitation to be happy, even though, keep in mind, I think mm-hmm. this is a good thing, is that I have grown very, very pessimistic or fed up or disillusioned with one aspect of the pro-life culture. Something that you and I and some other friends of ours um, refer to as pro-life incorporated. Mm -hmm. This kind of big public-facing movement of pro-life. Which, I mean, we have to say, just, I'm going to qualify that just a little bit just to say that. I I think, at the same, it's not, I think when that phrase is used, it's often meaning to be that there is an economics of pro-life stuff as well that can bolster certain people's pocketbooks, et cetera. And it takes on an American institutional form, which, but at the same time, you also need that American institutional form in order to fight against this cult. If you're, if you're looking at it from a policy standpoint, et cetera, you need institution to push back. Um, and you need to work within institutions to bring this about. So, because I, I just say this because like a lot of people who are probably listening are probably part and take part in some of these larger organizations and are doing very good jobs, et cetera. It's just it, what happens with pro-life think if I think I should let you finish, sorry, I'm going to let you finish now, but I just wanted yeah, to no. qualify that a bit just to say, cause like a lot of our listeners are going to be like, well, I, I, I participate in that stuff. I'm like, yeah, the, we just want to, it's, it's, it's complicated. <laughs> right. That's what I talk about yeah. how complicated it is. Yeah. Because indeed, I think there needs to be public facing movements. Oh, yes. Let's take, for example, yeah. the March for Life. March for Life. Mm-hmm. I think the March for Life is a good thing. Mm-hmm. That people getting together of uh, different faiths um, to politically protest abortion, this is a good thing and a helpful thing. Yeah. Okay. But I would get more and more frustrated with the March for Life. Because I would go when I was in uh, high school and then as a seminarian, even a couple times as a priest. And to go down to the actual march, right before the march happens, various politicians and speakers will get up on stage and speak. And I began to get more and more irritated by people who would speak about how pro-life they were, but didn't seem like they were getting anything done politically. Mm-hmm. It felt like People were pro-life purely for the political advantage of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Because I wasn't seeing anything being done. And some of these and, people were incredibly immoral in their own lives. Right. And, well, you just have to look at it this way. It's hard. If it's going to be a position you hold, you need abortion to be a reality for you to get the votes. Right. Right. So those are going to be aspects at, at play here. And there are, and people will take advantage of both sides. It, it's mm-hmm. the same thing. Listen, it's the same thing for pro-choicers. They feel like sometimes their politicians don't do it. Well, it's because they need pro-life stuff in order to have yeah. something to fight against to get the votes. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it, it's the same thing on both sides. Which is, which is not to say that some of these political actors were not mm-hmm. genuine. I'm sure mm-hmm. a lot of them were. Okay. But there was still that kind of feeling I yep. got. Or think about just um, what was it, a couple years ago, a few years ago, when uh, Donald Trump sent a video or kind of spoke at the pro-life thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the people on the pro-life side were very excited about this because finally a president addressed the uh, March for Life. 
Okay. On paper, the president of the United States addressing and supporting the March for Life does indeed sound like a good thing, a good movement. At the same time, I was very frustrated by this because you have someone who is a very personally immoral person, and mm-hmm. you could also argue professionally, mm-hmm. who is making himself the face of the pro-life movement. And one of the worst things to ever happen to the pro-life movement is that it became a political, a politicized movement. Right. It has and to be political is, by this, nature. Yes. It has to be political by, you know, by nature, but it yeah. became a partisan issue. Yes. Yes. And and both sides, Republican and Democrat, are both guilty for this. Yes. Um, and, it, so it's it, not and, just, and then it chews yeah. up people like Dan Lipinski, who is trying yeah. to be just authentically himself, hold up, a, mm-hmm. and he can't be a Democrat anymore because he's not pro-abortion. Exactly. So it's on both sides. The fact that you can't be a Democrat and pro-life, realistically speaking, even though um, there are a lot of like social justice arguments for being pro-life. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you can be um, Republican and pro-life and be absolutely giddy about executions yeah. and the death penalty. Now, mm-hmm. the death penalty and abortion, these are not the same issue. They're right. different. I'm not saying right. they're equivalent. Yeah. But at the same time, that shows a seeming contradiction when you're really excited to kill convicts, but you're also pro-life. It's confusing to people. Okay. So there's that. Another thing that's made being pro-life very difficult is, to be honest, working at a parish. Working at parishes sometimes makes being pro-life difficult. Mm-hmm. In this sense, there are many people in the parishes that I have worked at who will go to um, Planned Parenthood places and pray and counsel. Mm -hmm. It's a very important part of their mission Mm -hmm. as a baptized Christian. Mm -hmm. And they do amazing, wonderful work. And the courage to do that uh, blows my mind. Yeah. I have occasionally prayed at a, when I was a seminarian, um, at uh, Planned Parenthood places. Mm -hmm. And my goodness, that was nerve wracking to me. Mm -hmm. The fact that people, yeah. I mean, first of all, yeah. talking to people can be nerve wracking yeah. to me yeah. <laughs> and talking to strangers all the more so to be willing to lovingly engage these people um, who may be indeed hostile to you. That is an amazing mm-hmm. gift and a, a beautiful thing that they do. Okay. So I'm not talking about those people, mm-hmm. but there's another brand of people you'll find in your parish that will be the most difficult people you ever deal with. Because you are never, as a priest, doing enough. Mm-hmm. If you are not preaching about abortion every single Mass, you are not doing enough. Mm-hmm. You are not pro-life. Mm-hmm. Um, pro-life people can be some of the angriest and bitterest people you will find. Within the context of what you're talking about. Because there's yes. obvious, there's anger and bitterness everywhere. <laughs> yes, 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 yeah. exactly. Thank you're you. you're yeah. talking about like the parish experience that sometimes you've had right. encounters with people who are angry and bitter in the pro-life movement. And can be the most difficult people to work with. And okay. okay. And I understand why. I actually have a lot of sympathy why. Right. Because think about this. The numbers, like, if you actually look at abortion in its reality, it is truly a mind-boggling evil. Yes. How this is occurring every day. Yeah. The murder of innocence. If you look at it over the course of years, the incredible numbers, um, if you think about the fact that basically one third of millennials of our peers are not here. Yeah. 
if you actually grapple with that reality, if you actually grapple with reality of how abortions are performed to this human being, of course, it has a great opportunity of breaking your brain, this kind of evil. But you can be so wrapped up in the evil that it turns your heart cold and bitter and yeah. angry. Yeah, yeah. Which is understandable. I get that. But that is a pitfall. Yeah. And some of these people, because they have truly grappled with this evil, have had their hearts become very bitter and angry. Mm-hmm. And let that anger take over their lives. Okay. And then become not great witnesses. Right. take a pause from it and say that I am anti-abortion. I am pro-life. Yeah. It is a good thing that Roe versus Wade and Casey, whatever, um, is overturned. This is okay. a good thing. Okay. But let's just talk about some of the difficulties. In that. I guess, I guess. So are you trying to get at this? I guess are you just trying to get at that. You're finding sometimes even within the pro-life movement, a buying into the culture of death. Yes. Yes, uh, so, very much so. Okay, so um, do you mind if I? Please, yeah, jump okay. in. Yeah, it, it's something, and and again, I, as a Canadian who mm-hmm. we tend to be very apathetic about everything political. Yeah, uh, and part and there's a lot of reasons for this. I've been realizing more and more, like we're so spread out, it's hard. To, you don't have closeness that engages in in political activity as much. And so it's just very easy to not care what happens in Ottawa, which is like a four hour flight away from me. Right. Like it's just, who cares? Mm -hmm. Um, But, and so it's, I, I've always been in the, the American experience of the church has always both intrigued, challenged and been an affront to me. (laughs) And all at the same mm-hmm. time, <laughs> it's an inspiration. And sometimes, sometimes I'm like, what the heck is going on? And sometimes I'm like, ah, oh, that, that, I wonder if that's supposed to be a prick to my conscience, you know, like there's all mm-hmm. the, and I think uh, in human life, that's always a good thing. It's a sign that something's trying to find, there's a fight for something in the good there in the midst of all the mess. Um, and I have challenged myself sometimes, you know, cause like I keep on taking the reality that, you know, yeah, lives are being killed. <laughs> Yeah. And, and and that's not okay and it's hard it is a harder thing to do in canada because the because here's the thing i think i think at the heart of it is if you want to change a culture of death that a cultural work is not done overnight mm-hmm. it's actually usually done over centuries yeah okay but there's the immediacy of the loss of a life and the moral yeah. horror that comes from that. And the discussion hasn't happened about how do we reconcile these two issues? Cause like, I think I agree. I saw some stuff on Twitter um, about hesitations about the Dobbs decision with regards to African-American women. Not that they're not pro-life or anything, but just saying the economic situations the the places where they tend to live and dwell the lack of systemic and cultural support for these women um what happens and i think this is the problem is and i and again i'm not trying i I will not paint the whole pro-life movement with this brush because it's not the case here but in the and i think sometimes we're not listening if we really want to actually change culture we really need to actually 
engage in an act of, of, of listening. Mm-hmm. It, and those who are pro-choice sometimes will not want uh, to do that. They'll just mm-hmm. maybe want to yell, scream, whatever it is. I've seen stuff like that too, and I don't really care for that. Um, but you need to listen because what's happening, I think we get thrown this line. Will you care more about the baby than the mother? Okay. But what happens often, I think, in these both sides in this is that there is yeah. a competitive view of life. And that is a logic that flows from a, 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 now, you ready to be canceled? <laughs> yeah. From a Marxist materialism that has infected American politics <laughs> on both sides. Yeah. Whereby your life is only flourishing insofar as you're economically flourishing. And so you need to make economic choices that better only yourself first. And I don't actually have to change anything. I don't have to sacrifice anything of myself to make these changes. We just need policy and systemic changes. So just as a little kind of aside, but I think kind of feeds into this whole discussion, there was, and it was weird, of all the things that kind of affected me over the last few months from what's been going on down south Mm -hmm. at least, the thing that actually affected me most, I, I don't know, I think, it, I, th- I think it was just one of those, here's another moment again and again of, of the same stuff happening over and over, nothing changing, which was that, that, that trucking accident of the 46 or 50 migrant workers now, I think, Yeah. Uh, who, that they died. Mm-hmm. And I was just, what was happening? Politicians. It's, it's the Democratic policies. It's the Republican policies. It's this, this. I'm like, look inwards, folks. <laughs> like, yeah. This is not a policy issue. It's a culture issue. And culture only changes when I personally am willing to live counterculturally. And counter, like, this is the thing. Again, even that phrase, countercultural, gets usurped mm-hmm. in a politicized fashion instead of the yeah. Christian Catholic fashion of being 11. But 11 that is sometimes even foreign to the dough. Yeah. <laughs> to, start to mold it within because i think like i i i i i think often where the best pro-life work is happening is the friends of ours who go to pregnancy centers and are doing things to support mothers every day and i'm not saying again i I agree there needs to be legal stuff too it's not it's again this is not competition but we have this competitive view of human nature that flows into a cat so this is the thing american capitalism is actually marxism Mm -hmm. uh, honestly and and um, because it's materialistic in its in its in its philosophy and in its view, and we buy into this every day. We don't ask questions of it. We're not reflecting as Catholics on these things, mm-hmm. and to, because and so when that happens, we find it so easy to buy into to be usurped by the politicians for their own ends and means, to be usurped by companies and other major players in these movements for their own ends and means. But that is not the witness of the church. And it's, 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 again, it's this tough balance. The church isn't separated from society if she does it within. But I think the ultimate change, because like, as you, the problem with legal changes in the end is, well, then what, what will happen maybe? Maybe there's going to be a, a real push on the left to gain to position so that they can stack the, the Supreme Court and then laws will go back in, reaffirming Roe v. Wade. And so then laws, bec- it just becomes a battle of who gets the power to enforce what laws. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not really thriving because there's not a culture that buys into it. 
And so and the it best, turns, yeah. yeah. And so, it makes politics this total war. Yes. And there's a bunch of other issues that are end up being cast to the ground and, and are burning all around for the sake of this one thing, which don't get me wrong is, a, is, is a pinnacle issue, but right. go ahead. So like with that immigrant truck accident, I'm like, well, are we willing to welcome the stranger? Are we willing to sacrifice our own goods, our own money, our mm. own comfort at home sometimes so that the stranger can be welcomed? And they'll say, well, then immigration, I'm like, sorry, no, there's for the Catholic, um, there's something greater than borders, actually. Not in mm-hmm. this globalist sense, but in the sense yeah. that the person in front of you is 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 the is the your greatest moral concern often. Mm-hmm. Um, and we as a church, this gets to a whole other thing that I mean I'll do a, a, a podcast episode on it one day, is we've allowed the American notion of religious freedom to restrict us. Mm-hmm. The American notion of religious freedom is privatized. We do not see the church as a public actor, as a public society within a society, but as actually greater than the American society. We are actually a second tier citizen to the American society or the Canadian right. society or whatever. The lib- this is not just an American thing. This is the Western liberal tendency to privatize religion, but Catholicism by its nature is social. It is a society in and of itself. And so we do not as a church govern our lives in such a way whereby we can create our own support systems, our own networks that can welcome in these people and help them in their need and, and find ways and means by which that, that notion of pro-life really does begin to imbue everything we do. And so these are, I mean, these are massively complex things. And I think it gets to the point that in the end, the only real work we, sh- we the best work we, sh- I'm not saying the only, the best thing that we should be work- putting our energy towards is that cultural change but without it being a competition against the immediate death of others, like it's just, and that's yeah. where, that's where it's going to be complicated. I know that's a lot of stuff there, but it's just, there's, there's, it's a point of saying there are massive issues behind this that we're not asking questions about and having a dialogue about that yeah. I think can actually bring a real, even a, a start to bringing people together in a way that may not have happened before. Right. Yes. And so part of the hesitation to immediate joy is that, while so that immediate issue of the fact that lives are being destroyed daily okay yes and after um roe was overturned there is the immediate good of lives not being destroyed but that deeper not deeper but deeper in this of sense of more fundamental not necessarily more immediate if that makes mm-hmm. sense yeah the culture change yeah i think becomes more difficult now which is not to say I wouldn't have it this way. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that it does become more difficult now. I think. Yeah. Um, because in history, whenever the church has cooperated too closely with political movements, it's never turned out well on both the left right. and the right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is what I mean by it's complicated, Uh, uh, that overturning of Roe is a good thing. It's going to save lives, Mm -hmm. but it also makes our greater mission of pro-life more difficult in a certain sense. And I'm not saying, I'm just saying that that's complicated. That's all I'm saying. Yes. Okay. Because because what it does is it says, look, guys, if we are, if we do this uh, legal political activism, we can get what we want. But again, what is it doing? It's, It's treating the opposition as the other. Mm hmm. 
rather than praying for our enemies who, while perhaps, yes, viciously against us sometimes, yes. there is an, very uh, there viciously. Is, there is, there is going to be that always Christ, but, but Christ tells us to pray for them. When you pray for an enemy, you will their good because you're yeah. willing that they be with God. And yeah. thus you actually see them in a different light and you see, like, I think this is the other thing. It's like, we see them as other, not as there's so much woundedness on all sides. Like there is hurt, mm-hmm. there is pain, there is broken fat. Like why is a lot of this happening? Like there's divorce culture. Why aren't we fighting divorce culture? Like, like, like I'm still, I am like, okay. So ready for, and I will say something about hot takes later, but actually I think this is a, a, a good hot take to make here. The church in America needs to be much better about maternity leave policies and support Absolutely. for pregnant mothers, like infinitely better mm-hmm. at offering we- because the whole problem, like because America is the American polity is so focused around its economic models that it becomes harder and harder for women to be mothers. Mm-hmm. And that is a real suffering and we need to be better about this. Yeah. Uh, in Canada, this is not this is a mute point because everyone can get up to a year and a half of maternity leave, and now paternity leave is a thing too, right? And it's paid, not even from the companies, yeah. it's from the government, from your EI. So, yeah. but I think that that's a vital, vital thing to support to support there, or or better, you know, better health insurance, or 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 or, or topping up for fees for health insurance for giving birth or something, so that it doesn't cost out of pocket there because. Um, it becomes a fearful thing. Oh my gosh, we're gonna have another baby. I don't have $15,000 for the extra fees on top of my insurance to pay for this, right? Like it's just, those are real concerns that we as a church need to be better about if we're going to have lay employees. And we're going to always. Mm -hmm. And that's a place where we can make a cultural change. And then it makes something attractive. Wait, the church cares. The church cares. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so where do I want to go next? Sorry. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's good. Um, I do want to talk. I do eventually want to. This might be a longer podcast. Are you okay with a longer podcast? Yeah, I'm fine. It's my study okay. day, so we're good. Um, so I do want to get to actual pro life arguments. Okay. Um, and I also want to get to the reaction of um, pro abortionists that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but before I get to there, I do want to make. Uh, before I get there, I want to say one more thing about this idea of a consistent life ethic mm-hmm. and how important it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know the actual origin of the seamless garment. Um, I mean, Cardinal Bernardino was like a big proponent of it, but I don't think he was the first. Yeah. Um, and I think there's probably poor ways to understand that. Yes. Uh, but I'll tell you the way I understand it as a good thing. Okay. So not all moral issues carry with them the same gravity mm-hmm. okay like a, like i mentioned even uh, death the death penalty carries less of a moral gravity than abortion right okay that being said to be truly pro-life is to have a consistent moral ethic mm-hmm. because ultimately the culture this we, we you can't see the culture of death as only abortion mm-hmm uh, abortion is the most rotten fruit from that tree, but its roots go very deep. And it goes to the fact of this kind of othering, which you mentioned. That ultimately, I decide what life is worth. And I get to control that. Mm-hmm. So there's many ways that happens. When we ignore the poor, 
are mm-hmm. saying that their lives do not matter. Exactly. Yep. When we are super excited about the death penalty, yeah. we are taking the power of life within our hands, yeah. deciding what life is value. Racism. Yeah. We are deciding what lives matter. Contraception. Mm-hmm. I am taking the power of life into uh, my power. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot like of all these affronts, all these massive affronts to human mm-hmm. dignity. Exactly. Right. To human like immigration dignity. issues. Immigration issues. Immigration issues. Oh, absolutely. Too. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a difference. Um, I think it's a difference in not in kind, but in degree here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think. I think. Um, I think the only thing I would just say, though, there is. Well, I think there would be some. It depends. Sure. There can be yeah. some. There, when you're taking a life. There is yes, a kind, there is a there is a, mm-hmm. a, a level of degree difference there then but it's also level of kind yes yes but it's just yeah, yeah. I could, there is no like i would say like there is a real difference between you know making it difficult for someone to immigrate to a country and taking a life it would still be yes. higher in, yes, in, in moral gravity but they are all because really at the heart of every catholic moral teaching on the human person in one way, shape, or form, it is attack on the, on human dignity, which is an attack on the image of God, with, which is within us, that makes us have dignity in the first place. And so yeah. any affront to that is not okay. Yeah. So so I'm going to say something kind of uh, strong, um, okay. that if you're a Catholic who's contracepting, you are contributing to the culture of death. Mm-hmm. You are complicit in it. Mm-hmm. Um, not as much as someone who seeks out or performs an abortion certainly mm-hmm. but on a deep moral level you are and, and with the qual there's always minor qualifications mm-hmm. here there are times and places where not for where like um it's being given for a primary medical reason other than pregnancy stuff where it can be allowable in certain cases right, right. like just, you're talking yeah. about those people who are intentionally using it to avoid pregnancy right okay, okay. um and it's happening in multiple ways mm-hmm okay sorry can i say more thing with that though because i i I agree with you i agree with you and 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 i guess but this is the other problem this is the other systemic problem if you will the cultural problem of the uh, the economics make it like bearing a baby is such a difficult like this is the sad like when we have a whole culture that makes having a child a burden because they Mm -hmm. need you to work more like this is bad and yeah. so like i under like there's so i qualify i guess when i qualify what you're saying just a little bit say i get where it can come from sometimes mm-hmm. because maybe it's like you have to work and it having a kid right now can take away a job that could because the employment standards for supporting women who have pregnancies are crappy across the board and you're like well then we won't have we can't pay the mortgage and like so there's mm-hmm. like this is the problem like there there are so many issues that are feeding into these things so i recognize like i get it and so you're right i just want to we may have listeners who are no, saying who are who are, who are doing it's like there's, there's these real reasons i don't think they're right to act on but then what do we need to do as a church to help support these women who 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 feel they have to do this because they have no other option right exactly yeah so i mean yeah let me let me build sorry. on that yeah sorry so in the same way um like uh those those same pressures which are real yeah. and those same sufferings which are real um lead someone to use contraception 
are the same pressures that lead someone to abortion. Yes. yes. And just as we need to acknowledge those pressures and do everything we can to alleviate the pressures that lead to abortion, we need to do the same thing with contraception. Also keeping in mind that those pressures and those sufferings do not excuse the sinful act. Right. Right? Okay. So I'm not saying it's easy. But let me, because I think, I really do think that, that I I do want to draw this connection about how contraception leads to a culture of death. Oh, it's 100% there. I mean, this was, yes, that's 100%. Yeah. So, so let me do a little bit of that. So, um, a part of it is you are, you think as a human being that the creation of life is solely your decision and it's not solely your decision. Mm-hmm. So this is on a, on a faith level. Mm-hmm. Um, there is this idea um, among Catholics uh, that they were promised either explicitly or implicitly that once you get married, you're allowed to have sex whenever. Mm-hmm. Like if you, if you stay pure um, and you, you stay a virgin, uh, once you get married, you're free to have sex whenever. That's your right. Mm-hmm. That's your privilege. And that's not how it works. Um, that the unitive and procreative, procreative parts uh, and a generative, or, yeah, yeah. Um, these stay linked. Yes, they're, they're, two, they're, they're two of the same thing. It's why and, you need a partner in yeah. marriage. Yeah. That's the unitive side, but yeah. that you need to be have the possibility of having children. That's the other aspect that is required for marriage. And I'm going to say nothing that's harsh. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. So, okay. I'm just going to say it and then maybe you can help me out afterwards. But <laughs> like I said, I'm going to be the one to tone you down today. Yeah. Okay, okay. So, <laughs> um, NFP is a mercy, not an imposition. NFP is a mercy, not imposition. What the church expects, not what the church expects, but the idea that you should only engage um, in uh, in sex when you are ready to have a child, that's kind of the default. NFP recognizes... Mm, I, I actually, think I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't think, think couples should be allowed, should be ex- expected Sorry. on some level. Like, if NFP isn't working, yeah. then to abstain until it's time to have a kid no but uh, hmm. no there's been a development there though too with the doctrine right? sure because of the unitive element mm-hmm. that uh, i mean there's because there's a distinction between openness to life yes um and i honestly i actually i hesitate to even want to talk about this in a way without mm-hmm. having married people here who have a good head on their shoulders about all this stuff because we don't know the experience either right mm-hmm. and, and i'm not trying to say like there is um every pro every Unitive act ought to be open to procreation, recognizing that there's always a limited window whereby one is actually able to be procreative mm-hmm. and that abstaining during those times is valid and allowed. But recognizing that should one miscalculate, etc., you're not going to be sad that you're having a child or anything like this, right? Mm-hmm. Um it, it because that unit of aspects equally important mm-hmm. in marriage and then there comes a point where it's only unitive right mm-hmm. because the possibility ceases after a certain age right so right 
Okay, so let so, me yeah, let me reframe I'm this. Yeah, let me. I'm what trying, yeah. I am trying to say. Yes. No, that's good. That's good. This is why we have a conversation. With. What I'm trying <laughs> like, to say. Get so many angry emails from people. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, and because I'm partially I'm saying this because NFP is an incredibly is a cross and is a suffering, and mm-hmm. but because I because I I'm saying that because I know a lot of married couples where this is very 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 difficult. Mm-hmm. And part of their frustration with NFP is that somehow they were promised, implicitly or explicitly, that they would not have to struggle in this area once they got married. Gotcha. Okay. And in that sense, but I don't know if that's actually so much the... So, I mean, there's two things here. One is because my diocese is the retirement capital of Canada. These are questions Mm -hmm. I don't have to deal with too often. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I actually don't know if that's the church's thing. I think that's a cultural thing, which says... because culture is over sexualized sure that we implicitly buy into the lies about what that's all about and where the here because here's the other thing when you actually do talk to married couples you realize once you have kids all of this all of this changes radically Mm -hmm. (laughs) like kids change everything when when the two-year-old's coming into your bedroom every night because they're having a nightmare (laughs) it makes things Difficult. Different. <laughs> Make things different, right? Right. But but and so those struggles around abstinence within marriage, which you know, and 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 John Paul II talks about this in Love and Responsibility, where it can have a really purifying act of love there, where it's a it's another form of loving the other in a really radical way. Abstinence is not part of the language of marriage in the popular culture. Right. And and so and, so, and we as a church have not addressed it as a spiritual discipline within marriage. Mm-hmm. So we've bought, in that sense, we've kind of allowed the cultural influence of the notion of marriage and sexual intimacy within it to inform us against what we understand marriage and sexual union to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, so Anthony, weren't you talking about abortion? Okay, so let me <laughs> let me see. I think this is, it's helped me, you no, know, seriously, you have helped me tie my thoughts together about okay, this. Yes. Okay, so yes. I knew this was gonna be messy. Yeah. So. Many Catholics have bought in to the lie that marriage would equal an end to the cross of chastity. Okay, yep. That this would become a thing that they no longer had to worry about. And in fact, they have to struggle with that in some ways even more once they are married. Right. Then it feels like there is a betrayal because they were promised one thing, whether by the culture of the church or whatever, and they're given a totally different thing in reality. Mm-hmm. There is a betrayal. Mm-hmm. And because they feel betrayed, betrayed, there are many Catholics who then can justify contracepting. Right. And then there are some Catholics who further can, while they think abortion is wrong and evil, it leads to excuses and explanations. And in this case, that can lead to an abortive mentality as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but even if it's not that direct line, the fact that we are contributing to a culture that we believe, uh, contributing culture in a way that we are saying that there are no consequences to sex or there should right. not be, or there should not be a struggle in chastity, that leads to the culture where abortion should be a right. Yes. Yes, and and I, I think we and I mean I think you 
when you do work with married couples, you realize that it is difficult, but, um, it's yes. And, and especially in North America, cause we give into Puritan notions of sex too. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, which I don't think is as healthy either. Um, because actually it exacerbates these myths, right? It says, you know, yeah. it's gotta remain pure. And then it's a, uh, it's arrested development when, uh, yeah. when Anne is talking about what it's going to be like when they're married and yes. she's like, and, and George Michael's like, I'm in for student president. And it's just yeah. like, uh, it's not just our love and your love, but it's God's love. It's going to be so great. You know, she goes, is this, is this, yeah. this is the, this is what we kind of buy into. And then here on the flip side of it, there's also the disappointment because also mm-hmm. sexual intimacy takes time to grow into. It is yeah. awkward and hard and difficult for them to, it's, it's a working towards things. Yeah. And then because we don't have these natural community ties anymore, we feel alone in this. And so we're fragmented as, fa- as, as couples. I'm no, sorry, not we, I'm not a couple, but we, yeah. you know, or anyways. Um, <laughs> but you feel alone and you feel like there's no other option but this mm-hmm. because you don't have other Christians who you feel comfortable you can talk to about these things. How do maybe people who've been married a few years longer than you, who've been through what you've gone through. How did you deal with this? How did you, or, or, or you grow to you know older couples who, who love the faith the same way you do and who have gone through these things and can share them. Like I remember for a while there, there were some families in my diocese who hold host like a monthly family group and through that, they, these older couples would mentor the younger couples who are just starting to have kids. And, you know, they have three kids and they're five. And how do you survive at all? And, and they've all been there, right? And um, and they can talk about these things because they're not alone. Like this, mm-hmm. is, the, this is the big, for me, this is like the core issue in so much of this, the fragmentation yeah. and isolation of the human person and of the self. Right. We are sold a lie that we are actually more connected than ever, but actually we've never been more alone. Right. And that and happens that, in the church too. And it happens the in marriage. The separation and the disconnectedness, yeah. the division, this is part of the things that contribute to this culture of death. Yes. Um, okay. So that was a... Yeah. I think, so it's just, I think yeah. all that's important because there is there is a link between sex oh, and abortion, absolutely. obviously, and, right? I mean, Humanity Vitae is about this. John Paul II yes. brings this out yes. constantly. And, and again, we're buying into the materialistic vision of the human person. We don't see sex as also an act, uh, a spiritual act, not in the Christopher West sense, uh, like where it no. gets like, where he loses all difference in the analogy. Yeah. But it's just in the sense that you as a human being are also a spiritual person. And therefore the whole aspect of marriage is meant to mediate Christ's love for his church, both for yourselves and for the world. Mm-hmm. And that the family is a fundamental, like we don't, like it is, it is the other thing. The church does not treat the family as the fundamental building cell of society. Uh, society does not want them to be the fundamental building cell. And so they're living this vocation in loneliness, knowing it's vital and important, but they don't know the next steps to build these things. And so like, I guess it's just a way of saying, it. I get why it happens. And to help address these things, we need to be better at building up smaller encounters of communion with one another so that we're not alone. Mm-hmm. You can go to mass on Sunday, but there's a thousand people there and you, it, you you're not, yes, you're not alone, but you don't know anyone because it's too many people to actually get, yeah. and everyone's rushing out five minutes before the final blessing, right? Like it's just, you, these are, there are, I guess I think what we're both trying to get at in many ways with all of this is that 
there are so many contributing factors that we're not asking the questions about so that we can, and how even we as a church in many various levels have been complicit in these ideas. Mm-hmm. And this is actually going to lead into probably my episode next week, Modernism yeah, 2.0. I, I can tell. Yeah. Modernism 2.0. Um, okay. um, we haven't been asking these questions and we need to actually be having these questions in these discussions. And I just want to put a little asterisk on this too, because I think this is really important. Yeah. We're, we're working this out folks. Okay. Um, you know, we, we'll have a hot take here and there, or we'll go hard. But Anthony and I are just trying, we're having a discussion to work this out. We're not authorities in the definitive sense of things, yeah. but we're just trying to work this out with you. And we need to have these discussions in an open and honest way where we can even challenge each other back and forth and push, but it's not in a competitive sense. It's in, we're trying to seek out the good. Mm-hmm. So, that's important. Yes. Uh, okay. So, uh, two more things. You ready to do two more things for this longer episode? Sure. <laughs> Yikes. Um, one of them is um, there are going to be, and there already have been, tons and tons of bad faith arguments on the pro-abortion side and just vitriol and anger um, towards priests, towards Catholics, towards the church. And it is very difficult to respond to that in a loving way, mm-hmm. but we absolutely have to. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now there may be some times when it's such bad faith that there's no point in having the conversation and you have right. to step away. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But if we meet these things with the equivalent amount of anger, it does no good. Yeah. Just doesn't. Yeah. Okay. So there's that. And then, um, the one thing that we are not having a discussion about anymore, because most of the discussion has been around um, whether or not abortion is right and not what abortion is, because mm-hmm. we're not having that discussion in the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the two questions that we should ask and keep asking are, when does a human life begin and what is the value of human life? Mm-hmm. And we're not asking those questions or we're not discussing them seriously, mm-hmm. even if we know the answers. Right. Um, instead, we're, we're jumping on that, uh, either assuming that that cannot be answered or assuming that it has been answered uh, and jumping right to whether or not abortion is a right. And this is what makes, you know, if you are a pro-abortion, pro-choice person, you need to understand that the pro-life view is that life begins at conception and indeed that life might not be a terribly interesting life that life might not have a personality might have might not have likes or dislikes may not be a productive member of society but it is a human life in the most basic scientific sense mm-hmm. that it is no longer what those cells are what that cell is what those cell are is no longer its mother or its father it's mm-hmm. its own thing it's not a tree, it's it not is, a dog it's yeah it is human. Yeah. Like I said, it might be a terribly uninteresting human at that time, depending right. on your perspective. Yeah. In some ways, it can be like a utterly fascinating human. Okay. But there's that. And then as far as what is the value of human life, I think the pro-life person will say, we can't. We, we can't value. Um, you can't quantify life. You cannot quantify it. Can't quantify life. Okay. Um, because I don't want to say, 
Yeah, I think it, it, it's it's not up to us to quantify because every time human beings try to quantify human life, terrible things happen. Yes. Because once we put a value on life, then we can decide when to end it. And that, well, this is the problem. We and that's what creates this competitive mindset between the mother yeah. and the child. Yes. Because we actually even we've all kind of bought into this quantifying aspect. Yeah. And it's like there is an equal dignity, but the taking of one life is never justified for the for the benefit of another mm-hmm. ever yeah right? and and this is this is but this is um it's but again it's like i i would agree with you i i had some i'm like i was like it's good that this is gone it's not going to change everything mm-hmm. but um we got to be a lot more intentional like are we willing to go out to Starbucks less than for dinner less so that we can buy diapers for that mother who's struggling to just mm-hmm. pay the bills? Right? Yeah. Are we willing to just say, or you, you know, a single mother is like, Hey, we're all coming together. Here's your rent for the next six months. And here's, here's some gift cards for food and everything. Like we got you, we got you. Right. Yeah. But that's only possible when we work more locally. And I think this is, so there's, there's two things. Just one is that I especially noticed this again, this is more just because it's, probably talking mostly to Americans anyways. Um, but I find that these conversations happen, like the, the notion of federalism has taken over even the political landscape, that everything depends on the upper echelons of governance. When And I think one of the enduring and beautiful things about the American project, while I have many issues about its philosophical foundations, yeah. is the principle of localness and, and in political activity. But it's not just in the terms of voting and political. I think where it needs to expand itself is to say, I get to know the people in my church, in my town. I spend more time locally, give my energies locally, where then you build up bonds of trust where maybe there's a family who can then take a single mother into their home for a while because they, 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 every people know these people so that there's a trust that's rebuilt that they can actually, they're no longer a stranger anymore. And there's a relationship and we can actually, but are you willing to not go out for dinner anymore or less so that you can make sure that these people have their basic needs met? Cause we don't do that. Yeah. And that's a question that like literally haunts me every day. Yeah. Like, and it should. And if it's not, I'm not saying that you can always change that all right away, but these questions ought to haunt us a bit because mm-hmm. we really live a lot for our own benefit economically when as St. Basil likes to say, that extra pair of shoes belongs to the poor person on the street that are sitting here in a closet. Yeah. And, he, and yeah. that tattered cloak the, 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 is to close the, the cold one outside. He's kind of right. Basil's kind of right there. Um, yeah. But the other th- little thing with that too is then um, when it comes to like the other side not willing to dialogue and you're, and it's there, you're right. Because like, I, I saw some other stuff on Twitter uh, where Catholics often, because they're trying to defend the truth of something, mm-hmm do not take on the Catholic form or shape. The content is true, but the form is false. It's like, yeah. it, 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 it's, um, and when that happens, <laughs> you're actually undermining the faith because for the Christian, content and form have to come together. So what do I mean by this? What's the content of, of Revelation? Jesus Christ. What's the form? It's humanity <laughs> and yeah. divine divinity within that. They're the same thing. They're one and the same thing um, for Jesus. Now we're all creatures that have, there's a distinction there with us. We're not, you know, I'm not God. So, 
but we have to be working to be more and more close to bring content and form together. The truth has to be said in a Catholic way, not in a political way. Yeah. But you're, yeah. See, you're, you're coming against these opposing factors. You're like, you see like, 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 like some stuff around transgender issues and they just start taking on the political mindset and start to stand up as quote unquote culture warriors, which as we've seen, has just never worked. Um, yeah. And all you're doing is just, you're not actually, you don't actually care about charity because you're, you're not speaking the truth in charity because you actually don't care about the other person. You just see them as a foil to your own worldview instead yeah. of someone who needs to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay. Good. Am I, okay. Uh, one final point and yeah. then one wrap up. Yeah. And <laughs> this deserves its own thing, uh, but there are times uh, because of a complicated pregnancy yes. where the mother's life is in danger, where a procedure can be done to save the mother that may endanger the life of the child. This is not the same as abortion. Right. And it can get very specific depending on the situation and what's going on. And I don't have all my biomedical notes on me from seminary to deal with that. But just to point out that yeah. that is its own complicated issue. Yeah. I have friends who have suffered from some of this stuff. And it's really... Yes. And, and it is... There's so much... There's so much... These things affect people in such a deep way. Yeah. And and it's trauma. Mm-hmm. It's trauma. Um and we got a lot of work to do to help people through these things. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's just, it's, it's, we're not, try- so yeah, I think we're, we're not trying to downplay the truth at mm-hmm. all, but we're just right. We're trying to say there are precipitating factors that we even ourselves have been and still are complicit with that contribute to this, that we need to start asking questions about if we really want to bring about the end of abortion. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Am I right about that? Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what I think looking back on everything we've said is that it's important to have the courage to explore all the complications yeah. of this issue. That does not mean that you are not holding to the truth that abortion is an intrinsic evil, right? You can do both. And by doing both, I think it opens up our heart more to compassion and to a truly pro-life thing. And it may be unfair in the sense that we who are pro-life have to do more work and we have to accept criticism and we have to really look at ourselves. And you might say the other side isn't doing that. It's like, well, that's too bad. We're not (laughs) responsible for that in that sense. Yeah. We're responsible for our, you know, ourselves and our own thing. So. Yeah. And it's, it's because that's charity. And in charity, you see, if Catholic is the whole, okay, yeah. then it's the universal. Then it can build, it, it's, its purpose is to lift up these complexities and these particulars and to see them from the perspective of the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Who, who, who brings together the fragments together into a unity um, and says, like, and this is the thing, I think this is a Catholic charity if it's going to be reasonable, we'll always ask, what is the truth hidden here, even if there's a great evil? Mm-hmm. Because off, most of the time, there's some truth, some good one is looking for. Because most of these people, most times who are pro-choice, are not out 
are not out for this because they want to kill all children and abort right. all infants in the womb. There is some, they might see that, well, but what about the woman's life? Well, there's a truth there. We need to yeah. grasp onto that and take that and, and lift up the good. That's, mm -hmm. what, that's, that's what we did in the ancient times with pagan temples. We took what was good. Like, this is the thing. A lot, yes, actually a lot of Roman Catholicism has pagan elements in it because it took what was good of natural religion and lifted it up into supernatural life. Yeah. We need to do this in our apologetics around pro-life, in our discussions and everything. Look for the truth because that's what they're looking for too and show them where that truth resides. Okay. I think that's our Woo. abortion episode. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, so Bef before we go, can I just say yeah. one little thing? I meant, I remembered what I was going to say at the beginning and then I okay, forgot. What was that? So um, I, I have a tendency towards hot takes as you know, yeah. uh, and I was reflecting on that and I'm going to be doing my best to stop it because the best way to bring people in to something like, yeah. I, I, I don't, I can't I actually, I almost lost week's episode either because I did it. So I'm like, whatever, I'm not gonna listen to it. Um, right. Uh, but, um, you know, there are times where I'm saying things and I'm like, yeah, it might be true. Mm -hmm. it might be true, but is the way I'm saying it drawing someone in? Right. I think this is the question we always have to, and I, I recognize sometimes when I'm doing the podcast, I can have a hot, like I see the logic of a thing. I just go with it right away. Yeah. But I'm like, but am I really bringing people along into the truth? by just saying this, it, what it does is it affirms those who believe it and it alienates those who don't believe it, right? right. Um, I'm like, no, I wanna, so just as a little like, kind of apology on my part where I've done this in the past, I'm like, I, I, I was reflecting on this, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if this is helpful, so I'm gonna do my best, I'm gonna do my best, at least, um, because I've noticed that for myself in the past and, and I wanna try and help with that. Well, um, thank you for having this discussion with me because you yep. were, able to temper and correct some of my uh uh takes in order to so i i, I yeah so we're that's what we're we did. working towards the good we're working towards okay the good. that's what we're that's, trying to do that's good so now i think uh i have thoroughly canceled myself um and with that thanks for listening guys <laughs> please leave a review on itunes and tell your friends about the podcast tell your enemies too because jesus says we must love our enemies you can find me overthinking everything i've said on this podcast you can find me on twitter at fr harrison contact the podcast and receive updates at clerical pod on twitter find us on facebook youtube or email us at clerically speaking at gmail.com if you have a theological emergency please call 412-912-7995 that's 412-912-7995. Feel free to email complaints about what I said to me. Don't use the hotline because that's just for questions. Um, anger can go <laughs> through email form, please, and thank you. <laughs> Peace. God bless.